This is a recording of a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. If we have not had the chance to meet, my name is Benji. I don't know if I've said that yet, uh, but we really are glad that you're here, glad that you get to be with us. And uh, if you're new to Light Church, uh, like most of us, we're, we're a brand new church. We've been around for about two and a half months. And uh, one of the things we do every single week is we look at the Bible, and we believe that the Bible changes lives. It's changed mine. Uh, we also believe that this is a what the Scripture calls living and active. This is a word that we don't just study as a history text. This is something that changes us actively, and that through God's presence and his Holy Spirit, he can be speaking to us tonight. So my hope is that you don't hear a message from Benji, but a message from God. My hope is that you would open up your hearts not to hear someone's take on Scripture, but to hear the words of God themselves and how those begin to transform you to look more and more uh, into wholeness and more and more into Christ's image. So uh, before, we, before we start diving into this text, can we just pray together and we'll, um, we'll enter in. So Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Jesus, we thank you that you have given us your word, Lord Jesus. People have lost their lives uh, for this book, um, Lord, and, and, and I just confess so oftentimes we just miss it or we don't treat it with the reference it deserves. But tonight, we ask that we would pause, we'd listen to you, and that as we do, you would change us and transform us uh, as a result of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. You ever have those moments where you learn something and it's not a big deal, but then you learn the backstory and it, all of a sudden the light bulb goes on? Or those moments where you meet someone and then you find out later that that person's like famous or semi-famous, if that ever happened to you, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe uh, like that's that person. And, and, and it's so funny because before they were just like a normal individual and all of a sudden you have this revelation like, wait, this person has status or this person is someone I've, I've known or looked up to and it begins to change everything. It's happened to me multiple times in my life. I've also been the recipient of uh, being in an environment where someone, because of status, I was kind of on the bottom of the totem pole and uh, some people found a great entertainment in watching this happen. And that happened when I started dating Jen, where we were um, entering into a relationship where we were friends for a year. And one of the reasons we were friends for so long was not because we were wise and mature, but it was because I was uh, younger than her. I was a freshman in college. She was a senior. Uh, she was significantly better looking than me. She was way more intelligent than me. Uh, she was on the dean's list. Let's just say I was not. Barely graduated high school. Um, and the only reason we met is because I was I tested into the dumbest English class a freshman could get into, and she tested out of it, but had to take it again because she was getting a double major. And so here she is sitting in this classroom, and I'm sitting there for two completely different reasons. So that's just, that's just the makeup of our relationship, and it's so much so that when we actually started dating, I called my friend Ryan Reyna, who led worship here last week, and I'm like, Ryan, guess was one of my best friends. I'm like, me and Jen are dating. Like, well, she's my girlfriend. And he literally just goes, ha, 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 click, and hangs up. I'm like, going back, I'm like, what was that about? And he's like, wait, are you, are you serious? She's dating you? I'm like, why do you sound so shocked and so surprised? 
But the reality is he wasn't the only one who was shocked and surprised because this status of who she was it was out of this world. And, and she was kind of like untouchable. And so it was simply by the grace and mercy of God that we ended up together. Um, but I think it's oftentimes you guys may have met Jen and I like, oh, they're like, what a great couple. But you don't know that backstory of the status that God's grace had to like overcome so that we could even be together. But tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about this idea of understanding one's status and role can change how you presently see them. And John does this in scriptures because we're in the middle of a series called Living for the Weekend where we're focusing on the last week of Jesus' life. And at the last week of Jesus' life, Jesus does some very peculiar things, some amazing things, some frustrating things, but they all point towards this one purpose that he had in the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the last week of his life has more recorded on it than any other moment of his life because it's so intensified. And so this is where John is picking up. He's right here. It's chapters and chapters and chapters about the last week of Jesus' life. And so last week we talked about the triumphal entry, and right before he went into Jerusalem, how this, this gal that knew him, Mary, uh, and her sister Martha had, were throwing this dinner party for him, and Mary comes and actually takes this uh, ointment that would have been used for burial, I mean, the equivalent of about $52,000, breaks his flasks, pours it on Jesus' feet, and washes her hair. And we talked about how absolutely radical and scandalous that would have been in that day or in any day to throw that kind of sacrifice onto someone's feet and then to be taking your own hair and rubbing. And we just talked about this is a crazy moment. But what's amazing is not only does Jesus get his feet washed, but the more incredible and more radical thing is that he actually goes the next chapter and washes other people's feet. And this is maybe one of my favorite passages of scripture, but I have to tell you, I learned something this week I'd never seen before. And I think it changed everything, and it had a lot to do with understanding the setup. I had to understand what John was trying to get people to understand. Before he ever talks about Jesus washing his people's feet, he leaves them with an image in their mind. And so that's what we're going to be starting out today. And so before we go into the text, I'm just going to give you my three points up front, because I rarely talk about them once I start going uh, number one, everyone laughs, uh, the glorification of Jesus brings humility. So the very first thing we're going to talk about is John brilliantly refers our imaginations back to the glory of Jesus, high and lifted up, the Jesus that spoke the world into existence, the Jesus that sits on the throne of heaven, and how that glorification of Jesus, number two, that brings us humility, and that humility of Jesus brings cleanliness, and that the cleansing of Jesus brings love. And so, but first, let's talk about what John does. Let's talk about the setup here, how John actually just brilliantly, before he talks, Jesus washing people's feet is a crazy story in and of itself, but what he does beforehand makes it even more vivid and impactful. So this is, let's begin right here. John 12, verse 37 says this, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet. So if you're a Jewish audience or listener or early church, you immediately know who Isaiah is. If I were to mention Michael Jackson or LeBron James or Justin Bieber, this, this guy's more famous in their minds than them. Everyone knows who Isaiah is. So he quotes Isaiah, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, and he's quoting Isaiah here, he says, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn. I would heal them. And verse 41 is key here. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Now, if you're like me, I've read that verse multiple times, and I never stopped right there to realize that John right there is referring that Isaiah had a moment 700 years prior where he saw Jesus. He's already seen Jesus before Jesus ever walked the face of the earth. So I begin to start looking, well, what verse is he quoting from Isaiah? And he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And immediately the dots start to connect with me that John, before he ever talks about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, wants us to remember the image and the vision that Isaiah had of God, who he's now saying was Jesus, high and lifted up. So it's only appropriate that before we read about Jesus washing people's feet, we should read Isaiah 6 again. Because if you were an early uh, Christian, if you were a Jewish person, you would have immediately had that in your imagination before you heard about Jesus washing people's feet. So let's read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 10. So again, Isaiah, for those who are new to it, was 700 years prior. Uh, Israel has just been sold into slavery, and he is a prophet. He's a mouthpiece for God, and he's, and he's coming to declare judgment, but also hope, and talks a whole lot about someone who's going to come after him named Jesus. So this is Isaiah. He's a prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God, and he says this in Isaiah 6, 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which were kind of like angelic creatures, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and, two, and with two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying, and they were calling one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. How hot is that coal that an angel can't touch it, right? With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That word us is key here. And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go tell this people. And he starts to quote the very passage that, Jesus, that, that John quoted. And so, again, if you are a Jewish person immediately and you heard that sentence, you're saying, Wait a minute. The vision in Isaiah chapter 6, right? The vision in the beginning of Isaiah's scroll of him being raptured up to heaven, actually seeing the throne room of heaven was not just Yahweh, it was not just God Almighty, it was actually Jesus sitting on the throne. 
And he describes how Isaiah comes into the temple, comes into the throne room of heaven. And the very first thing he starts describing is that there is a robe that the King Jesus is wearing that is so huge that the train of it fills the entire temple of heaven. I mean, that's a heavy jacket, right? I mean, this thing is like massive. And the reason why this is important is in Jewish culture, the robe you wore represented the authority and the role that you had. This is why when Joseph was given the coat of many colors, it was so disturbing to his brothers. It's not like they were like wanted the, the more fashionable outfit. When his dad gave him that jacket, he was saying, you have the authority. You have the favor. Well, the robe Jesus was wearing in heaven was so ornate and majestic, it literally filled the entire temple of heaven. I mean, think about what the, the, the image is trying to describe about the authority and the majesty and the power of Jesus seated on the throne. And as he comes into this room, these angelic creatures are calling back one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it says that the sound of it is so earth-shattering that the thresholds, the doorposts, which is the most strongest part of a building, are shaking. Wow, I mean, what a moment. I, I was, a couple days ago, I was sitting at the train stop in Encinitas, and a couple days a week, I try and take the coaster, and I'm, and I'm there, and I'm there early. I'm working on my laptop, and every once in a while, I didn't know this, but a train will go by that doesn't stop in Encinitas. And so I'm sitting there, and I hear the bell start to ring, and, and I'm like, okay, here comes a train. And, and I realize this train is not slowing down. It's blowing its horn, and it's moving fast. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there on the, on the, the threshold and on the, the cement platform, and it starts to shake. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's getting louder and louder and louder, and the screen is shaking. And all of a sudden, this train goes flying by, and my, the, the whole pillar of the cement that I'm leaning against upon is shaking. And my heart's beating out of my chest, and I'm probably like eight feet away from this train that's going by. And I was so humbled. I was blown away. But think about this. The proclamation of the holiness of Jesus was so powerful and vivid and profound at the very thresholds, not of a train station, but of heaven itself, shake at the word holy. And Isaiah responds as any one of us would respond in that kind of environment when he just says, woe is me. And I love this. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah was a prophet. The cleanest part on his body, according to everyone else in culture, was his lips. It was, the, it was used by God. And for him, in that moment, he's just saying, the best part of me is not even worth comparing to the holiness that I'm seeing. The very best part of me is unclean compared to what I'm envisioning right now in this moment. It says, as an angel goes and literally takes a coal and puts it on his tongue. And I, I can't, I think we just read that, but I imagine it was painful. It was a purification. All purification is painful. And he, and he gets burned. And then all of a sudden there's this conversation that happens where the one on the throne says something really interesting. And verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
And most scholars believe in that moment that Isaiah said, I'll go, send me, right? It's like the famous missions verse. Like, I'm going to go. Let's be a bunch of Isaiahs. No, 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 no. Is actually a conversation happening between the Trinity. Who will go for us? And Isaiah in the moment said, I'll go, send me. But ultimately, it was Jesus himself on the throne saying, I'll go, send me. And it's exactly what he did. He entered into our story. And unless we see Jesus high and lifted up, Jesus washing feet and Jesus on the cross will never mean as much as it should. A.W. Tozer says it like this. The gospel can lift the heavy burden from the mind. Give beauty for ashes in the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But unless the weight of the burden is felt, the gospel can mean nothing to the man. And until he sees a vision of God high and lifted up, there will be no woe and no burden. Listen to this line. Low views of God destroy the gospel for all who hold them. The reason why John just didn't go right away into Jesus washing people's feet is he had to remind them of who Jesus was. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the heavens and the earth whose authority is so full that all heaven can't contain it, whose power is so strong it shakes all around it. And in this moment that all the, all the audience, all the listeners would have been caught up in this moment, John takes his hard left and describes what this kind of king does. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil was already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, I mean, think about it. Let's just stop right there. <coughs> So Jesus has this moment where he's realizing, he's like, I know where I came from. I remember the throne. I still know what it feels like. And I know I'm about to go back there and all the authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. What would you do with that kind of authority? What kind of power moves would you make? Well, the very first thing that Jesus does when he has this divine revelation of the authority and power that has been given to him. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then the Lord Simon, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not every one of you is clean. 
When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, what a disorienting moment for his disciples. What a disorienting moment for the original readers of this text. He refers to Isaiah chapter 6. He immediately says that he knows that all authority has been given to him. And he, and he says the next verse, he, says he gets up from the table. And what does he do? He takes off the robe. This is a symbol not just of his rabbinic robe that would have carried some level of authority. No, 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 no. This was the fulfillment of a robe that he wore in heaven for eternity. He began to take aside, not just for a moment, but for a lifetime. And he laid it aside. And just like he did the, the, the earthly rabbinic robe, he laid down his heavenly robe aside and he begins to take on a towel and wrap it around his waist. This would have been the attire for a, a Gentile slave. This would have been the work of a female Gentile slave in a caste system like theirs. You could not get lower. It was repulsive to everyone, the act that Jesus was about to do. This wasn't just an anointing. This was the scrubbing of the dirt off of their feet. And so he takes off the authority and the power that he rightly wears. And he dresses himself in the most humble way possible. And he gets on his hands and his feet and he begins to start rubbing the dirt off of a doubter named Thomas. He begins to wipe the dirt off of a, of a deceiver named Peter. And, and he begins to wash the feet of a betrayer named Judas. It's always fascinated me that the moment Judas leaves was not was not before the foot washing, but directly after. I mean, Jesus, he could have just waited, couldn't he? He could have just waited and said, let's, let's let that guy leave. He doesn't deserve what I'm about to get him, but no, 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 the God of the universe takes off all the dignity, the status that he so rightly wears, and he gets on his feet, and he's scrubbing someone's feet who's already sold him for silver, who's about to leave him and literally give him to be murdered, a thief's death, and Jesus responds in love. And he gets to Peter, and he responds exactly how I do. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? Like, if Jen tried to wash my feet, I would be like, no, come on, babe. Like, I can handle that. Thank you. But God? Wash? The worst, most calloused, hardened, dirtiest parts of me? Peter's response is all of our response, not, not me. You can't do that. But Jesus' response is so profound, and you need to catch this. He says, if I don't do this, you have no part of me. 
Listen, friends. You cannot heal yourself, cleanse yourself to get to God unless Jesus Christ is the one who cleanses you and your soul from the sin and decay that has been built up in all of us, we have no part of him. So Peter's response is like, go for it, all of me, right? Come on, scrub me down, Jesus. Like, let's, I, I want all of who you are. And he's just like, shut up, you're an idiot. Like, don't, I don't need to do that. But it's this moment that if we can understand for a moment the glorification that Jesus deserves and had, we begin to maybe start to scratch the surface of the humility he was portraying. And we begin to, and, but what I love is Jesus doesn't just demonstrate it, he invites us into it. He says, do you see what I just did? Do you see what I did? You call me Lord. You call me teacher, and you're right. And in that moment, what Jesus does is so brilliant. He says, you know the, the status that you think you have? I have more. You know how hard it is for you to humble yourself? I humbled myself more. All you need to do is look at me, and you will have nothing to hold to anymore when it comes to your own pride, when it comes to your own selfishness. The gospel unarms you. You have nothing. I can't love that person. Are you kidding me? I can't wash their feet. I'm not going to serve them. I'm not going to do that for my boss. My boss doesn't deserve it. I'm not going to talk nice about that person after what they've done for me. I mean, we have all these reasons because our role, our dignity has been assaulted in those moments. But God in the moment says, I have a bigger role than you. I have more authority than you. I'm more righteous than you. And I still did it. I still chose love. And he says this a few verses down in John 13, verse 31. He says, when, G- when Judas has, had gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. How crazy that the glorification of Jesus came through cleansing someone who didn't even want it. And God is glorified in him, and if God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Here it is, verse 34. A new command I give you. Now, let's stop right there. This is a big phrase because Jesus doesn't give new commands. He interprets old commands. He says, you've heard it said, I say unto you. He gives understanding to commands that have always existed. But in this moment, Jesus says, here's a new one for you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my students, my disciples, my apprentices, if you love one another. Now, this is fascinating because I've read that before, and I'm like, that's curious because loving one another is not a new command, right? This is found in the Levitical law hundreds, thousands of years ago. It's at the basis of the Jewish religion. He's not saying loving your neighbor is a new command. The new command comes with the caveat he gives. says, love one another, here it is, as I just loved you. You see, because Jewish culture was steeped in justice, 
steeped in right and wrong, black and white. If you do this, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you do this, I'm going to do this. It's going to be all even. And with Jesus, I'm going to give you a new command. I want you to love people the way I just loved you, the kind of way where you take off your roles and your dignities and the things you think you deserve, and you put them aside so you can get down below someone's level and begin to take away the brokenness of sin in their life by lovingly serving them. That's the kind of way I want you to love one another. And if you do that, the whole world will know that you are an apprentice of Jesus. It's overwhelming what he's asking, isn't it? It's just overwhelming. Unless, unless every day we posture ourselves and remind ourselves, meditate on the scripture and the reality that Jesus did this for us. Can I, can I just be real? Every single fight I get in with Jen is most of the time I'm, I'm causing it, is if I feel like my dignity or respect is questioned. How could you think that of me? Do you know who I am? Not in a role, but like, I would never do that. My heart's pure. It, it's, it's an insult to the status I believe about myself. There's a robe that I wear, a metaphorical robe that I wear, that when someone comes and insults it, it creates bitterness in me and resentment. And it's in moments like that, and they could be little things or petty things, and sometimes there's people in our lives who really, really hurt us. But Jesus in those moments says, if anyone had the right not to love, it's me. And I chose to love in a way that you never even can dream about. And all I'm asking you to do is would you do the same thing? The next time someone insults you, disrespects you, the next time someone does not deserve your love, you give it anyways. The next time someone mistreats you and slanders you, the Bible says you pray and bless them. The next time you have an enemy in your life, you love them. And according to Jesus, the greatest and truest form of knowing who is a follower of Jesus is how you love the person who doesn't deserve it. And it's, it just makes me feel like a kindergarten Christian all over again, doesn't it? Man, I got a lot of work to do. I got a lot of work to do. I have work to do today. I had to repent to Jen on the way up here, just like, man, I'm sorry I blew it. Every day. I mean, when I look at this text and the reality of what it's saying here, it leaves me no room for pride. It leaves me no room for bitterness just because of what Jesus has done for me. He did that for me. What right do I have to then go and hold my robe over someone else and say, do you know who I am? As I was writing this sermon, this was going to be my ending point. I was just going to be talking about, let's go love people. But there's, there's a couple of things I, I feel like the Lord is speaking to me about this passage. One is he does not say how you love the world is how they will know you, my disciples. is how you love one another. He's talking to the inner circle. This is big because if we're real with ourselves, the people who see the ugliest version of ourselves are those closest to us. Amen? Come on. Like, well, I don't know why that is. But the people who are close to us, and, and actually, I do know why it is. You know why it is? It's trust. It's called covenant relationship. You feel safe, and so you let your hair down. You kind of show your worst side. And so there is an importance to it. But what happens is those people you feel safe around start getting your junk on them, start getting your pain and your hurt on them. And I'm guilty of it. 
And so the people who are closest to us, Jesus says, the people who may be the hardest for you to love will be the litmus test of how you follow me. Sometimes it's way easier to go and, and, and pass out a sandwich to someone in need or to go on a mission trip than it is to go and look that person in, your, in the eye that you know and just say, I'm so sorry. And so the, the, I was, my, my plan was to end it with this idea, like, can we just go, because of what we just read, and can we go wash the feet? Metaphorically, don't, you know, there's not really a need for that nowadays. I don't know, maybe your feet smell, but um, what are the tangible ways you can love those who are close to you, specifically those who don't deserve it? But as I was preparing for that, I felt like the Lord stopped me right there, and I, and I felt like there's something else that he wants to do tonight, and it's that. There are people in this room who have not been loved by people who say that they're followers of Jesus. And maybe they are. Maybe they really love Jesus with their heart, but they've hurt you and wounded you. And because of that, there is hurt and bitterness built up in your heart. You hear things like this, like, man, I, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. I'm going to send them to the podcast. Because the reality is every single one of us in this room has been hurt by someone, sometimes leaders in the church. I'm one of them. And I was so hurt because I was so looking for them to love me the way Jesus loved me, and they didn't. And if you're here tonight and you're, you're just hurt and you're wounded, I, I just, well, there's a couple things. One... I just want to say I'm sorry. Specifically, if you've never heard that before from someone, and I know it's not the same thing, but on behalf of someone who's a part of the body of Christ, as on behalf of a pastor, I'm, I apologize for people who should have shown you love and they didn't show you that at all. It's not right, and it doesn't honor God, and it's not, it's not Jesus. And my hope is that this is, can be a space for you to heal. But I need to warn you that as much as I say this, I know that there are going to be moments where I hurt people here. There's going to be moments because of my own humanity that I fall and I fail. Um, I've already done it already to my team on multiple occasions where I have not led the way Jesus would lead. So not only on those who've hurt you, but on behalf of here, would you just hear this? I'm so sorry. And I think your soul needs to hear that. But I also think that this might be a moment where someone didn't show you love, that tonight Jesus could. That Jesus could enter into that space, whatever it may be, whatever that hurt is, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that thing you just can't let go of, that tonight you would just confess it and let Jesus come wash your feet. Just let him come and just heal and cleanse that part that just feels so stuck. Would you just bow your heads with me? Father, I'm I'm sorry for moments that I've held on to bitterness. Father, I'm sorry for moments that I've been hurt and angry and I've sinned because of it. 
Jesus, I just confess to you tonight, along with my brothers and sisters, Lord, that all of us have been shown an incomplete picture of love. And we need you. We need you to come and to love us in the way we so crave. We need you to come and cleanse us in a way that only you can. Jesus, would you come pastor us? Would you come shepherd us? Would you come love us? Because this is a room filled with broken people. Jesus, we don't want to love the same after tonight. Lord, we don't want to love people based on if we think they deserve it. Lord, I pray that we would love people the way you loved us in our own sin and our own brokenness. Lord, I pray that when people talk about light church, God, when people talk about the Horning family, when they talk about the people of this community, where they say they, they follow Jesus, and I know this because they love one another so well. Jesus, thank you for washing my feet when I have betrayed you, when I have strayed, when I have doubted. God, I pray that you would just continue to minister your love and your grace to everyone here. We need it in a way that only you can give. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.